but I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Amen. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is looking at some of our salvation and what it means and what it means to our walk with God. I'm thankful for the cross, for the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's, at times it can, it can seem as if um, that's elementary, as if it's the basic things, and we can lose sight of the value of those basic things. We can lose sight of the things that are just uh, a part of our life and we take them for granted. But Paul says, I don't ever uh, want to forget the simplicity of the gospel. I don't ever want to get caught up and get so deep and so wrapped up in all kind of things that I forget about the simplicity of the gospel, His blood and the cross, that He saved me when I was lost. That I had no hope, but He saved me. I'm thankful for that. Why don't we just give Him praise tonight for that. Lord, we thank You right now. Lord, for the very reason that we can stand here tonight and worship You and lift our hands and clap our hands. Lord, that Your blood set us free, God. Lord, that Your sacrifice was enough. I thank You, Lord Jesus. I thank You, Lord Jesus. I thank You, Lord. Amen. We're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians tonight. A few verses there. Verses 18, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. And... Uh, been challenged uh, within myself, uh, just looking um, at, at how how I live my life based on what God has done in my life. And these verses begin to challenge me in that area. Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning with with verse eighteen. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit. That means explaining what that ministry is. This is it summed up. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray for you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And tonight I want to talk to you for a little while about computing imputing. Computing imputing and the fact that it just doesn't add up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that we can be in your house, that we can be in your presence tonight, Lord. And I ask you that you would anoint my lips, anoint our ears, Lord, that you would speak to us tonight, God. We know that your word is anointed, that it's here to do a work in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, God. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what you were doing within us, Lord. We give you praise, God. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this evening. <coughs> hopefully my, well, I won't say hopefully. Maybe you're hoping my voice doesn't hold out and we'll just have to shut it down. How about that? Oh, there's water. Okay, that's good. It'll hold out now. I got some water. Amen. We understand that uh, man was in a state of indebtedness because of sin. That man was in that uh, condition. The Old Testament sacrifices, we're not going to get real deep into this, but just we understand that the Old Testament sacrifices would take that debt and, and that annual sacrifice would take, and if the sacrifice was acceptable, if the blood of animals that was placed upon the mercy seat was acceptable, it would take that debt and it would roll it back for another year. 
And so the debt was never paid in the Old Testament, but it was rolled back for one more year. It was a debt that was very great. It was a debt that could not be paid by man. It was a debt that there were not enough sacrifices that could be made. Uh, there were not enough animals in the earth to, to, to be sacrificed to pay the debt that was owed by you and I. In fact, Scripture calls it there was a gulf that was fixed between man and God. And it was this debt that hung over mankind every year that this would have to be revisited. And nothing man could do could bridge the, the gap of that this debt had created. And we know, though, and we just sang about it, though, that God decided to make a way for you and I. We know that He sent His Son to pay the debt that you and I could never repay. We know that He shed His blood, and His blood now sits continually on the mercy seat, and it opens the way for man to approach God like He was intended to. His grace and His mercy made a way for me to be put into right relationship with God. I can stand in this place today. We sit here and experience His presence today in a way that people in the Old Testament could not because they were not in a right relationship with Him. There was no blood that was permanently and eternally applied upon the mercy seat. But we are here today and we know what it feels like to have experienced His grace to have experienced His mercy, to be able to call upon the name of Jesus and He responds, to be able to lift our hands together and feel His presence. His sacrifice made it possible for me to be accepted. His shed blood made it possible for that gulf to be bridged that was between man and God. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24 says, And to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant into the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better, better things than that, of Abel. We understand that the blood of Jesus cries out today. It, this tells us that there's the blood of Abel that cries out, and that's the blood that cries out for vengeance. But we know that Jesus' blood, we read it in First or Second Corinthians, it cries out reconciliation. His blood cries out forgiveness. His blood cries out peace. That's what it's seeking in our lives today. It's, it's calling out saying you can have forgiveness. It's calling out saying you can be reconciled to God. It's calling out saying that you can have peace in your life. And we can have that today because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I approach because of His sacrifice. I can have peace in my life because of the blood of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. There's a lot of inner turmoil that takes place within our life. There's a lot of inner conflict that happens because I understand that before I come to God, I'm at continual war with myself. That there's a conflict that's taking on. I can have no peace outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. There's this constant warring. There's this constant condemnation and guilt and this struggle that takes place. And when I begin to stray from God, I begin to feel this happening again in my life. Because I know I'm not right. And I feel that and I continually struggle to get right. But I can't get right without the blood of Jesus Christ. I understand that I cannot find peace outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. That I can search all over. We know that. We can search all over. But the only place to get satisfaction is in Jesus Christ. It can only be done through Jesus Christ and because of His sacrifice. But I'm thankful that I can find peace in this place tonight. 
Amen. I'm thankful that the search is not a hopeless search. I'm thankful that I'm not like one of those conspiracy theorists looking for the missing thing that will just tie it all together. No, I can find peace in the house of God. I can find peace in His name. I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ, which brings me to peace. I'm thankful, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, But now in Christ Jesus ye, who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He is the peace that I need in my life. And because of his sacrifice, he broke down the middle wall of partition. He paid the debt that I could never owe. He crossed that gulf that I never could. And I'm thankful that that he paid that debt in my life. I'm thankful that he paid a price for me that I could not pay. I'm thankful that when my life was ravaged by sin, when sin had a hold on me, Jesus Christ was willing to pay the price that sin demanded and he was willing to give his life for me. I'm thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his mercy. I didn't deserve it. There's nobody that deserves what Jesus Christ did for us. I don't deserve that He looked down and counted me worthy enough to cover my sins. I, 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 I don't deserve the fact that He looks down and even though I mess up and I make some of the same mistakes again and again, I can still go to Him and believe for His forgiveness. I don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve for my faults to be covered by His blood. But I'm thankful that I can enter His presence worthy through Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that no no matter what takes place in my life and what I may do during the week and what may take place that I can, I know I can enter his presence and I can ask for his forgiveness and his presence will be there. His blood will be enough to cover whatever I have done in my life. I'm thankful for that. It's warm tonight. Let me just say, uh, you don't know cold until you've experienced the cold that I experienced about a week and a half ago. It was on a Sunday morning, and we were in, uh, I had the opportunity to speak at a church in London, and they had just purchased this building, and it's, it's an actual old church. Like, the ceiling was probably 45 feet up there, like stained glass window, cathedral, old type church. And they just purchased it not too long ago, and everything's old in it, because it's an old building including the heating system, which they had had flushed out the night before, the day before, and it was supposed to kick on in the middle of the night, and something got flipped over, and the heat never came on. Have you ever tried to heat a building that's got ceilings that are about 45 foot high? It's impossible. I'm not kidding. It was so cold in that place. It was unbelievable. I mean, Sunday morning, as cold as you've ever been on a Sunday morning, was at my... my my body was hurting. I was so cold. I was up there preaching and several times I looked down at my hand and thought, I hope no one can see this because my hand was actually shaking. I was shivering up there while I was preaching. I was preaching hard just to stay warm. It had nothing to do with anything else. <laughs> I'll tell you about the oil in that service some other time too. <laughs> So we understand that Jesus Christ paid a debt in our life. Now, most would not argue with that. I would say that most people here tonight would not argue 
uh, that there was a debt that we could not pay in our lives because we know our own lives. We know what took place. Here, here comes the issue, though, and this is where I want us to get to tonight when we talk about this word imputing. Is, is here's the issue, though. When Jesus Christ has paid the debt and we now live our life out of debt... This is, where, this is where it gets a little bit sticky, and this is where God has been challenging. I was reading verses, and, and, and you read the verses where it says, God will try the reins, and he will judge the secret thoughts of your heart, and he will uh, judge uh, not just what you do, but your motivations as well. And this, this all falls into that, is why do I do what I do? What's the motivation behind it? And it's not enough for me, I begin to be challenged, it's not enough for me to live my life out of the debt that I owed. While I owe God everything, while there's nothing in this life I would not have except for Jesus Christ, I owe Him everything. On the other hand, I don't owe Him a thing. Now, I know that's a little bit confusing. I know it sounds a little blasphemous to even say that. It's a challenging statement to say, I don't owe God anything. Understand that tone has a lot to do with things. How you, you, know, you tell your kids that. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. Now, I don't go to God and say, I don't owe you a thing. That's not the attitude I'm saying this in. <laughs> so while I owe God everything, on the other hand, Scripture tells me that I don't owe God anything. Jesus tells us the parable of the forgiven servant in Matthew chapter 18. It says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon... And this is a similar word to imputing. One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. As with many of Jesus' parables, there's several different layers to this, and we're just going to, this isn't even the end of the parable, but we're going to focus on this first part. We know that forgiveness is, is a part of this whole parable. But in this first part, we find that the man is forgiven everything that he owed. He didn't even ask to, for his debt to be forgiven. He said, just give me some time and I'll pay what I owe you. And it says that the king was moved with compassion, and he loosed him and forgave him the debt entirely. Now we understand that this is a reference to you and I and to the debt that Jesus Christ would pay for our salvation. It was one so large and costly that we couldn't even be like the servant and say, Lord, just give me some time and I'll pay it. We understand that it was such a large debt that we owed that there was no way for it ever to be paid. So, so we understand that. But I want to just ask you in this parable, when that guy left, when he got up, and, and we know the story goes on, he found someone else and owed him 10 bucks and he threw him in jail. But when he left that day from the king's court, it, he, was, he did not have to pay anything. His debt was completely forgiven. I don't know that we fully comprehend what fully paid means in our own life. 
It means that there was nothing left to be paid. That this guy's account was at zero. And this is exactly what we find in the passage that we read in, in 2 Corinthians. Verse 19 says, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. That means that those trespasses were a debt that should have been applied to my account. That every fault, that every failing, that every sin should have been applied to my account. And I could only fall before him. Or in our case, fall at an altar and say, Lord, forgive me. There's nothing I can do to make this right. There's nothing that I can say. I could live a million lives and never repay this debt. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ says, it's over. It's finished. You are forgiven. The debt is paid. That's what happens to us at an altar. And what that means is that the debt has been paid. I don't owe anything else. We find this word imputing there, and probably most of you have never said that word. Unless you've just been reading that verse, you don't usually use imputing in your everyday language. Uh, It sounds like a word that is possibly a Christian cuss word, you imputer. But we see it appear throughout the New Testament and by different authors, which leads us to believe it's a word of value and importance. That God, and, and, and what it means, it's it said several times throughout Scripture, we'll look at some of them, that God did not impute or reckon or count our sins against us. He did not leave the amount we owed in the balance column. In fact, He erased the debt. The debt is gone. It was paid off. In Isaiah 43, this is prophetically speaking, it says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and not will not remember thy sins. It's interesting to note that he blotted out the transgressions not for your sake because you had no sake that was even worth anything. But he did it for his own sake because he was so merciful. Because he was so gracious. Because he was so good. It had nothing to do with you. But because of who he is, he blotted out your transgressions and they appear no more. Colossians chapter 2 says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross understand that my sins were nailed to his cross understand that everything that I owed was nailed to his cross and when the cross it's over it's finished when he said those words it is finished that's what it means it means that all my sins are done They are finished. If I accept his redemption, there is no debt that I owe. There is nothing that I can pay back. It is over and done and completed. Understand that you are not seen as one that is perfect. But we sit here today as people who have been made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not that we're perfect people. It's not that because of who we are or what we've done or because we've come to church for so long. No, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has made us perfect. And understand, perhaps if we put it in more material terms, what it means to have our debt paid off. Because, And we'll look at it here in just a minute, a little bit farther. But it's, I don't know, how many of you still have to pay on your house? You know, you still got a home loan or something like that. But it's like going to the bank and your home loan is paid off. Imagine that. 
you know how much you owe. Well, you might not know how much you owe, but you know how much you owe today. And you go in there and say, I'd like to make a payment on my home loan. And they ask you for your, uh, uh, the, the, well, never mind. I won't get off on that tangent. They ask you for whatever it is to get to your loan information. And they say, you know what? We don't have a record of your home loan. Wouldn't that be, you, you get a little worried at first. You'd say, well, they're, they're going to come back. This is going to come back on me somehow. The man's out to get me now. This is going to come back on me. Well, can you look? No, we have no record. And we've searched everywhere. We can't find. There's nothing that says that you owe anything. That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? The word imputing means to count or to compute or to calculate. And it refers to a fact, not an opinion or supposition. It refers to facts. So, uh, keeping with the bank account, if my account has a certain amount in it, then that is how much is in it. If I have $100, that is how much is in my bank account, 100 If I think anything different, I'm deceived. If I go to the store and I have $100 in my bank account, and I go there and try to spend $102, what will happen? Now, it used to be, back before, you know, they'd, they'd really try and get you. I remember as an 18-year-old, they would keep giving you money at the ATM no matter if you were overdrawn or not. And I had a rough idea of how much was in there, but as long as it kept spewing money, it's all good. <laughs> I wonder what all those red numbers were. <laughs> but, but it will decline your account. It'll come back and they'll say, account de- declines your account, there's insufficient funds, something like that. And I can stand there and I can argue with that person till I'm blue in the face. But the only person that's deceived in that situation is me. The bank's not deceived. The person, the checker's not deceived. Everybody knows what's up. I don't have the money. Imputing refers to a fact, not an opinion. However, if I go to the store and I have $100 in my account and I see something that I really want for $50 and I say I can't get it because I don't have enough, who's deceived? Me. The store still isn't deceived. The bank isn't deceived. It's not a supposition or an opinion. It's fact. And so when it says it imputes something, that's what it's talking about. There's a factual thing that happens in my salvation experience. And I can think that I'm not worthy, or I can think that I'm too worthy, but it only matters what's in the bank account. Now this is important for us to understand because sometimes in our walk with God, we get feeling, we don't, we don't really have the problem most time where we try to overspend. No, because it's pretty hard to overspend God, what he's put in our account. Most of the time, it's the other way. We think, God, I'm not worthy. God, I'm not able. God, I don't have enough. Well, you know what? The only person that's deceived in that situation is you because he's imputed things to you and he's not imputed things to you. And the fact of the matter is, It's not an opinion or a supposition, but you have enough, not because of who you are, but because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. The problem comes because subconsciously, I don't think we do this, uh, you know, it just kind of happens subconsciously, but many people live for God like God did not pay off their debt, but He loaned them enough to get out of debt. There's still a worthiness issue. There's still all of this going on. We think that we owe God. We think that we work for God. 
That we're trying to get ourselves out of something. And while we would never say that, that's how we respond when He speaks to us. That's why we pray. It's because, well, I guess God did stuff for me, so I better pray. Your works are never enough, and they'll never get you out of debt. You can't pray enough to pay the debt that you owed. (laughs) But we start living for God like God loaned us the money to get out of debt. And so we think, well, we're out of debt now, but we feel the weight of that loan pressing upon us. We feel the weight of, well, God did an awful awful lot for me. I should probably do something for Him. Here's the problem, that, that we just exchange one pressure for another. We exchange one debt for another debt. And we're not living in freedom. We're not walking in liberty. We're living in debt still. God did not loan you salvation. God did not loan you His blood to cover the debt in your life. No, He gave you salvation. He gave you His blood to cover your debt so I can stand before Him whole and righteous in His sight. He allowed me to walk free just like the man in the parable that we read about. That when I come to an altar, I can get up from that altar and I can leave without the pressure of sin in my life. I can leave without the pressure of owing somebody in my life. Whether it's God or the enemy, whoever it is, I can stand up free in the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So when I get up and realize that I'm free, this should change how I walk for God. This should change how I live for God. I don't have all these pressures that I like to put on myself. No, I'm walking in freedom. Now I understand. I understand the flip side of that because we just like to go to the extreme. Well, you're saying I can do whatever I want. Well, there's plenty of verses to cover that and we don't have time to get into it. Maybe some other time. That doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. But I don't do things for God just because I feel like I owe Him something. While I owe Him everything, I don't owe Him anything. I don't serve Him because just of what He did for me and I feel bad and I don't want all that to go to waste. (laughs) How many ever had someone give you a gift or invite you out for dinner? And then you're like, well, now what do we do after this? Do we, do we have to invite them out for dinner? And if they paid for us then, what do we do? Do we pay for them now? you got to figure out how it goes back and forth, right? And sometimes that's how we treat God. Well, he did this for me, so maybe I should go teach a Sunday school class, or maybe I should help out here. No, that's not what he did. He, that's, that's not how he operates. This was a free and clear thing. I serve him because of a choice, not out of debt. I live for him because I love him, not because I'm just indebted to him. And it's important for us to realize these things in our walk with God because they change it. If I live for Christ out of my debt, I'll eventually become bitter under the pressure of living that way. I'll constantly feel like I'm not doing enough. Why? Because you can't do enough. I'll constantly feel the pressure of not being enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do enough for Him. And I'll begin to put all this pressure on myself. And it'll all be driven by the fact that I feel like I owe God. My motivation should be because I love Jesus Christ. My motivation should be because I want to be like Him. Not because I owe Him something. When I live my life from a place of debt, then my reward, this is the scary thing, my reward is based upon those works that I'm doing to try and get me out of debt. Romans chapter 4 says this, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. This verse tells me that I can try and work my way out. 
I can try and say, you know what, God's done so much for me, so I'm just going to work in response to that. But it says that when I begin to work according to the debt, then my reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. That means my reward is based upon my works that I'm doing. And I can never, what's the reward that we're all looking for? Eternal life someday. That's the gift of God. I can never work enough to earn eternal life. I can never pray enough for eternal life. I can never give enough. I can never witness enough. So I can't work out of debt. I've got to do it out of grace because if I work out of debt, then my reward will be based upon how I'm working out of debt. If I want to receive what I'm supposed to have in Jesus Christ, if I want to grow in Him, if I want to mature in Him, if I want to receive everything that He has for me in my life, I've got to understand that I don't owe God anything, that He paid the price and that I can walk in liberty and the freedom of His forgiveness. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This to me has always been an interesting verse about how I can frustrate the grace of God. And it's simply put, I frustrate the grace of God when I don't live in the grace of God. And what does that mean? <laughs> you just put it in a little bit more modern language. What does that mean? Well, see, when he did not impute my sins to me, when I had this pile of sins that should have been held to my account, and he did not impute or say, this is what's going on your account, that was his mercy that withheld what I deserved. That was his mercy that withheld judgment that I deserved in my life. And so his mercy stopped the imputation of my sins. But now, see, I, we, we, oh boy. Well, we have a, 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 some understanding of what Christ, this is where I think I don't know that we understand fully that Christ has done. We have the word justification that we simplify down to just as if I had never sinned. But see that story that we even read, the, the parable of the guy who owed so much money and he got up and walked out and he was at zero. That's not even enough to describe what Jesus Christ did in my life because mercy left me at zero. Mercy said, you know what? You just have a fresh start. You're at zero. That's what you've got. I'm not going to impute anything of the things that you deserve to you. But all of a sudden, grace steps in and grace says, you know what? It's not enough for you to start at zero. I'm going to impute something to you as well. James chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Seeing thou how faith wrought uh, with his works, and by works his faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, mercy says, I'm not going to put your sins at your door. <sighs> That's great, so I start at zero. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I don't have all of that weighing on my life. But all of a sudden, grace steps in and says, you know what? I'm going to give you something as well. I don't want to just leave you at zero where your sins are taken away. That's enough. No, I want to give you righteousness in your life. And grace says, I want you to walk in righteousness. I want you to live in righteousness. I want you to be in righteousness. 
And all of a sudden now, I'm not just at zero. First of all, when I'm bored, I'm starting out in the negative. Now all of a sudden, mercy has brought me to ground zero. I'm like the man who's walking away with the debt forgiven. But now it's not like I go in and see that my home loan is erased. It's like me walking in and them saying, you know what? Your loan's erased and you have $10,000 credit to your name as well. That's what grace does. It says I'm going to give you something as well in your life. That it's not enough for you just to have your sins erased. No, I'm going to give you righteousness too. And it challenges me, do not frustrate the grace of God. That means don't don't frustrate grace by not living in grace. And so while there's nothing I can do to make me worthy, while there's nothing, none of that, I understand all of that, yet I don't owe God anything because I have His righteousness. And so, yes, I don't deserve to walk in His presence. Yes, I don't deserve to lift my hands. Yes, I don't deserve to be used by God. But He has given me His righteousness. And so when I don't walk in that righteousness that says you are worthy, you can be used, you can do something for God, all of a sudden His grace is frustrated that I'm not using it. I can't live in grace and from debt at the same time. In Scripture, grace is always set in opposition against sin, the law, works, and debt. Grace and debt do not go together. And I cannot live in grace and live in debt at the same time. While I'm motivating myself because of the debt I owe, grace is frustrated because it's calling me to live from a higher place. You see, Jesus Christ does not want you and I to live from a place where we feel the weight of what he did, and that's what motivates us. He wants us to live from grace. He wants us to live from his righteousness. So not only did God not impute us our sins, he counted them as gone, blotted them out, covered them by his blood. But he didn't just leave us at zero, but he imputed unto us righteousness based upon our response to him. Abraham had faith. His work showed that he had faith, and God counted it or imputed it as righteousness. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 22, it says, And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. This is speaking of Abraham also. Now it was not written for his sake alone. So this is not an Old Testament philosophy that because they didn't have the Holy Ghost and the gospel, that that's what happened. No, It says it wasn't written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. It tells us in Romans that it's not just for Abraham. It's not just for those that lived outside the gospel dispensation. No, but even within the gospel dispensation, Jesus Christ has grace and righteousness that he wants to give you in your life. When I come to an altar, I need to realize that it's not just that his blood is removing my debt and covering my debt, but I need to understand that he is adding to me as well. If I believe on him, if I allow his grace to do its work, then his record becomes my record. You see, I think this is where we kind of miss what takes place in the salvation experience. You see, because how many of you ever felt guilty or felt bad or felt remorse because of things that you've done before? How many of you have ever asked God to forgive you of the same thing more than once? I mean, we've got things in our life, and and, and maybe if you think about it long enough, even now, you could could come up with some good repentance prayer because you begin to feel remorse for it. 
Because we still see all of that through the lens of ourselves, which is natural because we're human. But understanding how Jesus Christ, how, how God views us through the lens of Jesus Christ, when I realize that His record becomes my record is what He imputed to me. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So that when God looks at my life, He doesn't see my faults and my failures. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow, suddenly that makes salvation so much more than just, and it, just, it kind of belittles, just took my sins away. That's, that's amazing fact in and of itself. But now that I realize that when God looks at me, He doesn't just see me. He doesn't just see my failings and my faults and my shortcomings that I'm still working on. No, He views me through Jesus Christ. And when He looks at me, He doesn't see all my unrighteousness. No, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what been imputed to me in my life. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. It says, and be found in him. I realize that to be a part of the kingdom of God, I must be crucified with Christ. And when I do that, I am suddenly a part of Jesus Christ. When I realize that I am a part of Jesus Christ, then it's not my own righteousness, as this verse says, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why I've got to stay in him. That's why I've got to stay in Jesus Christ. Because if I ever get out of Jesus Christ, suddenly my righteousness is exposed, but when I'm in Jesus Christ, all God sees is the righteousness of Jesus. So let me ask you now, if you're in Christ, and if you're in Christ, then how should I view myself? Maybe those verses become a little more easy for me to say that say I am more than a conqueror. That says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That, that, that I can believe the verses about impossible things taking place through me. When I look at myself through my own righteousness, no, I can't do that. I can't be that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. But suddenly when I realize that it's not me, but I'm found in Him. Suddenly when I realize that it's His power, His righteousness, his grace, all of a sudden I realize how much I might be able to do through Jesus Christ if I simply walk in the grace that he has given me. I cannot operate out of any debt, but I operate out of his righteousness now because I am now in him. When God looks at me, he sees Christ. When I operate from this place of his righteousness, something amazing happens. You see, I once was a slave to sin. I once owed something to God and I could never repay it. And my life, whether I realized it or not before I came to God, was in a constant cycle of condemnation and regret and guilt and trying to pay a debt that I may not even realize that I owed. Realizing now that there was nothing in me that could ever repay that debt. But because of His sacrifice, because of His blood, He erased that debt. And he now calls me accepted because of his righteousness. And now I live from the place of his righteousness. And when I do, I find that I'm not just trying to repay what God did for me. 
I find myself in a situation where I'm not simply a debtor to God instead of a debtor to sin. No, I find myself in a different place. And, and, and we read it in, in James. We read it in James chapter 2. Because when I begin to walk in this place, when I begin to realize that He has imputed His righteousness to me, when I begin to realize that, that He has called me to not frustrate the grace of God, and I begin to walk in that grace, suddenly I find a place that I didn't realize was there before. And that's a place where He can call me friend. You see, this is what it really comes down to. How many of us are simply just servants of God? living in debt to Him. Now I know in Scripture on some level I'm always a servant to God, but there's a progression of relationships that we find throughout Scripture. You see, God is not just seeking servants. He's not just seeking obedience. But from the very start when He created man, He was not looking for someone just to obey Him. He was looking for someone to relate to Him. You see, and when I'm simply serving God, trying to pay off a debt, when I'm just walking with Him and, and doing things because of all that He's done for me and not because of who He is, suddenly I, I, I'm not walking in relationship with Him. If He was only interested in obedience, then you and I wouldn't even have free will. And when I view my relationship as just one of obedience, then many times I find myself operating just out of a place of debt. A relationship cannot function where one party feels indebted to the other. It can't. Relationship, people, if, if you got someone that you did marriage stuff before, you read stuff about it, they'll say you can't go in where one person feels unequal to the other and feels like they owe the other person something. Can't do that. It's not a healthy relationship. When I apply that to my walk with God, I wonder if my walk with God is an unhealthy relationship. This creates a one-way relationship, and we know that's not a true relationship. It comes down to a fundamental question which Jesus asked Peter after his resurrection, and it was simply this, do you love me? Do you love me? You see, because I can obey without love. I can obey without love. But I cannot love and not obey. So it's much more important for me to understand that love is at the fundamental basis of this relationship, not just obedience, not just doing what he said because of what he did for me. God is seeking a relationship with you that mirrors a friendship, not a debtor-creditor relationship. Perhaps the reason that you feel unfulfilled in your walk with God is because you've wrongly defined what your relationship with him is. I think we need to understand where grace is trying to pull us up to. We're called to walk in grace. It's trying to pull us up to joy. I wonder if, as the author said in Scripture, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I wonder if part of this is, a, is, is the place where I feel simply redeemed and not indebted. Where I'm simply glad for what Jesus Christ has done for me but I don't feel like I have to owe him something because that's not the relationship he's looking for. He gave it to me free and clear. His grace is pulling me to a place. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together 
in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, grace is trying to pull you up to a heavenly place. Grace is trying to pull you out of a place where you're just walking and living out of debt. Grace is trying to pull you up to someplace heavenly. That's where Jesus Christ is sitting. And even though I realize I'm not trying to say that you can be God and you can be a demigod or something, but we are called joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are called children. We are told that we can sit in heavenly places with Jesus, that he is pulling us up to a higher place. His grace is giving that to me in my life. And I don't want to frustrate the grace of God by living below where he's trying to put me. I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. His mercy's done so much in my life, but I want to walk in the fullness of his grace. As we stand this evening, I believe God wants to walk with him in a greater way. I know sometimes I'm motivated myself because of the debt. In fact, in Jude, Jude tells us we know that living for God simply out of fear is not a good way to live for God. It's not a good way to live for God because I don't want to go, for, go to hell, so I'm going to live, live for God. We, we understand that that's not the best way to do it. But in Jude, he even says, if it comes down to it, do whatever you have to do. If you've got to scare them out, do it. Now he's, he's saying, that. I know that's not the best solution. I know that's not the best thing to do. You shouldn't have to hear hellfire and brimstone every week just to stay saved for the next week. But if somebody needs it, I could say something. You could give them whatever. So I understand that. I understand. But in, in the same way, there's been times I've motivated myself. Well, you know what? I'm going to worship. I don't feel like worshiping. But when I think of all that, he's, all that he gave for me, and, he did, that, and that's fine. But I cannot live from that place. I can't live from that place because it's not healthy for me because he hasn't called me just to be in that place. He hasn't called me just to zero. No, he's given me grace in my life and he's calling me up to someplace higher. He's calling me up to someplace greater. He's calling me up to a friendship. He's calling me up to a place where I don't pray because he saved me. I pray because I want to talk to him. I don't study the word because it's what I'm supposed to do. No, I study because I'm in relationship with the logos with the word of God I fast not because he saved my life no I fast because it's something that draws me closer to God it's a relationship and that's where he's trying to get us to if I'm not sitting in heavenly places it's not because I owe him so much because he paid everything in my life if I don't feel like I'm sitting in heavenly places it's it's not because I'm not good enough because none of us are but His grace and mercy are enough. No, if I'm not sitting in heavenly places, it's because I'm not living in the grace and righteousness that He has imputed to me. And just in the same way, when something is imputed, it's a fact. It's not a supposition. I'm not guessing that His grace was given to you. I know His grace was given to you. I know He has called you to sit in heavenly places. I know that. And so whether I say I'm worthy or not, I am. It's a fact. He's calling you to relationship, not servitude. He's coming back for a bride. You know that, right? 
That's the closest relationship there is. Now, you can call yourself a servant, servant to love if you want. But my, my marital relationship is not based on one of us being a slave. Well, just me. But he's coming back for a bride. He's not coming back for a bunch of people who feel unworthy. Now understand when I say that, I know how we're made worthy. We're made worthy through his righteousness. But he's not coming back for for someone who feels unworthy. He's coming back for a bride who's waiting and watching and saying, yes, that's my bridegroom. That's who I'm betrothed to. Yes, that's who I am. So while I realize I owe everything to the one who gave his life for me, I can't live my life out of debt. I must live my life out of why he did what he did. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. So God is challenging us in our relationships. Why am I walking with him? How am I walking with him? And I challenge you tonight, don't frustrate the grace of God, but walk in his grace tonight. Let's pray right now. Lord.